distinguished guests, ladies, gentlemen, um, LSE colleagues, colleagues and students, my name is Ken Deng, chairing this event tonight. Um, this is the fourth, please switch off your mobile phones, please. This is the fourth event this year run by Confucius Institute for Business London. And uh, this institute um, has been the joint partnership between LSE and the Tsinghua University. And it has been a great success so far in terms of setting up a specialized institute to enhance communication, to teach, train Chinese language, and also to run events, cultural events such as this. So um, we will have one more to go next month. So we welcome you to join us. Now, this is a very special event today because we, we are so very lucky and it is our privilege to have our speaker, Lord Wei. And Now, Lord Wei has become a peer in life. Usually, a lord um, has the image of a lot of gray hair, a lot of wrinkles. <laughs> and uh, we know, for example, Lord Alan Sugar. He basically uh, ran a television series we pay 12 pounds every month, only hearing him to say, you are fired. <laughs> so, but this is a different Lord. Um, Lord Wei, his Chinese name is uh, Wei Ming En Nanjue. So I try my you know, Mandarin, um, give it you know, a shot. Um, you must know that this year is the 100-year ceremony or uh, centenary uh, sort of a year for the 1911 revolution. So most unfortunately, the Chinese abandoned their peer, peerage and all the aristocracy in China. So that was history in China, but history continues in this country. Right. Um, I quickly you know, served the web. I really want to know who is this lord, so young and so energetic. And it turned out that he was born in this country uh, to a Hong Kongese parents. And his father is a pastor. And um, he actually grew up in a rough neighborhood in London. Uh, if I'm, I'm correct, your school is quite a tough school. Uh, it's like, uh, not like London, but like Columbia, because students take class A drug, and also they manage to burn down one wing of the school. 
and uh, Lord Wei, in fact, was bullied for being a good student because nobody wanted to learn anything in that school. So this upbringing, very unusual upbringing, may actually um, become the uh, advantage uh, for a young man like him. I call you a young man because you are younger than some of my PhD students, <laughs> uh, for that matter. Um, so if you change your mind, you know, we, can, we can take you on <laughs> to do a PhD at LLC, so it's not bad. Um, right. So then he went on, he managed to pass very tough A-level exams and become the only student from that school to enter Jesus College, Oxford, to read modern languages. So he's fluent uh, in French. Yeah, relatively. <laughs> and, German. and German. Now he goes back to an ancient language, Chinese. So he strikes a good balance uh, for himself. Um, so indeed, uh, it gives me, the Americans will say, it gives me the great pleasure to welcome Lord Wei and give us the speech. My lords, ladies, counselor, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the inaugural Michael Chan Memorial Lecture, which has been established for three reasons. Firstly, to celebrate the life and work of Michael Chan, a great man and friend of both the Chinese and British and the first Chinese people's peer in the House of Lords. Secondly, to allow us as Chinese and those who love Chinese culture in our adopted land, Britain, to give an account, a state of the union, a state of our present community, and to take stock of how far we have progressed in this country. And thirdly, to allow people like me to give an independent take on constructive ways forward for our community in the near future. We're here today thanks to the London School of Economics and the Confucius Institute for Business London, who've been so kind in providing this platform and for publicizing this lecture. And it's great to see you all here today. I'm glad everybody got a seat. And we're here today and honored to be in the presence of Lord Chan's widow and daughter, who graciously have allowed us to commemorate his work, which I know has been such a huge part of their lives as well. Of course, behind every great man lies a great woman and family. And I want to pay tribute to them and their commitment from which we have all benefited. Thank you, Lady Chan. And thank you to the LSE Confucius Institute for Business London for hosting us. And I do look forward to many more such occasions when we can come together in this positive way in future. Now, Michael Chan was a truly remarkable man and physician 
who worked tirelessly for his patients and the health service, for his adopted country, Great Britain, and for Chinese in Britain around the world. Born in Singapore, the son of a headmaster, his career was distinguished and included serving as a consultant pediatrician and health researcher in Singapore, at Great Ormond Street, and at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine. He was very prominent in the NHS as its first and only director of ethnic health and as the director of two health trusts. His interest in our community led him to contribute to better race relations as an advisor to the Home Secretary, as a commissioner for the Commission for Racial Equality, as part of the AFIA Trust, which this April uh, established an award in his name, and as chair of the Chinese in Britain Forum, which he co-founded. And he was a prominent supporter of charities for which he gained his MBE, and then became our first Chinese people's peer, which means he was a popular choice. But these fine achievements are eclipsed by who he was as a man, as a committed Christian with deep integrity and compassion, one who always just wanted to serve. My father knew him better than me, and I wish sometimes that our paths might have crossed more over the years so that I might have benefited more from his wisdom. What we know is that he was a tremendously hard worker and passionately committed to the improvement of health and development for especially the most vulnerable children. Lord Chan traveled a lot in third world countries and saw at first hand suffering which inspired him in his work and explains how he included and supported other ethnic minorities in his charitable and campaigning activities, not just the Chinese. But he was never pushy or arrogant in any way. He was a self-effacing man who worked quietly behind the scenes. Through his wonderful efforts, he's paved the way for us to continue to build and create a stronger voice and presence for the British Chinese in Britain. There is a quote in the Bible, which I will say in Cantonese, which for me speaks powerfully of Lord Chan's approach. Mo bang dik yan, yong butter yi sang, yao bang dik yan, to yong butter. Those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. In a world where there is so much focus on celebrity and wealth, Lord Chan chose to be with the sick, the physically sick, the spiritually needy, and those in need of charity and assistance. Let's be inspired by his example and continue to further the good work which he began. It's my honor to give this first inaugural lecture and I feel truly humbled in doing so. In comparison to Lord Chan who achieved so much over many decades, I feel infinitely less qualified, less wise and less able. By Chinese standards, as was pointed out, I'm young. Not just because I'm the youngest peer, but because one is considered young in China until one is 50, at least. <laughs> so I'll hopefully be considered of age in about 16 years' time. My shortcomings also include my lack of skills in speaking Mandarin, although fortunately, with the help of the Confucius Institute, this situation is improving. 
I also have limited resources personally, a feature which many lords share, and cannot profess to be an expert in local Chinese matters. But what I can offer is a dream, a Chinese dream. I spoke about this dream earlier this year at Tsinghua University through a speech which you can find online. And my main points were as follows. In essence, I said that the world in the 21st century is waiting eagerly for the Chinese dream to build on the British dream of the 19th century and the American dream which so dominated the 20th century. That such a Chinese dream could be about harnessing as China develops her wealth and influence as a force for good through more sustainable business, through philanthropy, through social entrepreneurship, to address the many social and economic problems we face and will face in the coming decades, both as Chinese and non-Chinese. I spoke of a dream that might enable Chinese people over time to peacefully win further trust and respect around the world. I also said that if we do not articulate such a dream, that it would sadly not always be defined positively, especially in the West. Indeed, with concerns that rising unfettered materialism is harming traditional Chinese family and civic values, with continued questions both in the West and in China on the internet being asked about how those in authority should best treat fellow citizens and engage them in decision-making, respecting differences of opinion whilst maintaining peace, and in which the government itself in China is concerned to increase its cultural soft power globally. This is a time for deep soul-searching about how Chinese people want to act morally as China's economy and society matures and about how we want to be seen externally. This led me on to say that there is an opportunity now for all Chinese to build together a positive Chinese dream. Not just one modeled on the 18th century and before, though we must never forget China's great history and civilization, but one which expresses our current and future values in a 21st century way. Ones that are about sustainability, about community, about respect for differences in culture. Over time, the symbols of this dream will emerge both inside and outside China. Just as white picket fences and Coca-Cola did for the American dream, and the royal family and red postboxes did for the British dream. Perhaps such symbols for the Chinese dream might include some ultra-affordable technology that changes the way we use resources, or cooperative-based ways of sharing the task of caring for and empowering our elderly, or a new global standard for currency based on all those uh, of all nations rather than just one that is better able to flex to the needs of individual markets and territories. And I asserted that just as the overseas Chinese played such a significant role in moving China on 100 years ago, as was mentioned before, as we celebrate the uh, centenary, to effect change internally. Today, as first, second, and third generation Chinese, and those who feel a part of China's story living overseas, we can help 
to develop and spread this new Chinese dream, bridging between East and West and ultimately promoting peace and prosperity both in our own communities and in our adopted lands. A question must now surely spring to mind. How can we in the UK see ourselves in this light, developing and spreading the Chinese dream, helping ourselves and our fellow British neighbours, particularly when we already face so many challenges and obstacles as a community? Of course, much has been achieved already as a Chinese community here. Our parents, my parents, settled here and have survived over the last 60 or more years. We and our children have studied hard and achieved much. And Chinese in Britain are among the most law-abiding and young Chinese are among the most best integrated of groups in British society. More Chinese are voting than ever before and more want to enter politics. More Chinese businesses are investing in the UK than ever before. And there has not been as much interest in the Chinese and China in this country for perhaps 300 or more years. But despite our strengths, alas, as a community, we're also fragmented, dispersed, not just culturally and ethnically, like sand, to use an image which Sun Yat-sen has famously coined of the Chinese people generally, but physically, by being literally spread all over the UK. We can be invisible. We don't trespass on other people's affairs. And because we do not make a fuss, we're sometimes not heard when we need to be. And despite the influx of new wealth coming in from mainland China, we're limited in terms of community resources, certainly compared to our sister communities in America and compared to some of the challenges which we all face, which I'm going to outline a little later. Some of this is to be expected. It can be argued that the American Chinese and other ethnic communities have been around longer and have had more time to come together to collaborate, become more influential and become more established. And I've observed that the first generation of migrants tends to focus rightly on survival, uh, running a business, then a second on education and professional achievement. Often, it's only the third generation that feels the confidence in their adopted land to stretch their wings and pursue a less conventional path, whether in politics or diplomacy or the arts and media or in other areas of societal leadership. My parents were professionals. They trained as teachers, which may be partly why my own path has been what it has been. And I foresee a day when many of our children and young people, mine and yours, will, whether we like it or not, go down unconventional paths as they make their way in their adopted land. And ultimately, their efforts in doing so will benefit our community with the extra resources and influence and connectivity it needs beyond that which we now have. But given also our need to mind our own business and get on with surviving and pursuing our professional lives, given the fact that we Chinese are very pragmatic and do not have much time always for dreaming. And given that we have entered and are on the brink of perhaps the most severe depression the world has seen for 70 years, which may likely affect China as well, how on earth 
can we see ourselves as bringers of hope and as conduits for the Chinese dream, helping ourselves as well as helping Britain. And there is a saying, and please forgive my poor pronunciation, uh, in Hakka. Tung yum kam chai for yam gao. When everyone collects firewood, the flames rise high. There have been many more talented people than I who've tried to bring the Chinese diaspora together as a whole for the betterment of our communities. Some have succeeded and others less so. I do not purport to do so now. But the simple truth is that today each of us has something to bring, to offer, some firewood, which if combined with that of a few others can allow us, despite limited resources, I believe to not only tackle some of the challenges we face, but also to contribute to addressing issues common to all who live in Britain. My generation, the British-born Chinese, has professional skills and energy, if not always, local knowledge or resources. Many of the mainland Chinese and their companies bring resources, but do not always have local knowledge or local skills. The first generation and many local Chinese groups have very local knowledge, but could benefit from more resources and professional skills. A few coalitions of the willing, drawing on people from each side and more, from other British and minority groups as well, can I believe over time, with determination and vision, tackle some of the most intractable issues we face. What are these issues? Well, many here in this room will know better what are some of the needs we have as a community, as communities. I and my team have spent the last six months or so listening and researching what the needs in the community are, and our exercise is by no, no means complete. We will always welcome any thoughts you can add. What we found is that despite the achievements we've made as British Chinese, there remain a deep, a set of deep-seated needs. In terms of welfare, such as caring for our old and young and vulnerable, both directly and in terms of their access to public and other services. In employment, as the recession advances and has a knock-on effect on the sustainability of our traditional community industries, such as catering. In leadership, both in seeing further progress in the advancement of Chinese uh, in public life, not just in politics, but for example in the running of FTSE 100 public companies, where we do not yet have a single CEO of Chinese origin. And other areas beyond academia and the professions, where we are well represented. In improving the perception in the British media and among the general public, not only of Chinese people in China, but also of Chinese living, working or studying here. In addressing the gap in the knowledge of British people generally and of opinion formers of China and of the Chinese people, as shown by the fact that 120,000 uh, Chinese come to study here in the UK from the mainland every year but still only 4,000 from the UK go to study in China. These five interrelated areas seem to me to be the ones that need addressing most urgently in ways that will not only benefit the Chinese community but also the wider British community as well. 
For example, in developing sustainable jobs, not just for our community, but for everyone. Leaders who are not just British Chinese achievers, but bridges between East and West. Welfare, which benefits our old and young and vulnerable, but also those who are non-Chinese, and so on. Leadership is undoubtedly a key starting point because it can provide the impetus and vision for tackling every other issue. The right leaders will help to accelerate the involvement of the next generation whose task it will be to form the kind of well-resourced networks that we see among the many other ethnic communities here and among the Chinese in the US. We need young leaders, whether they are mainland Chinese students or graduates here, or British-born Chinese, or others who have settled here to rise up and discover a sense of service to our community and to Britain. Those who truly understand what it is like to be Chinese in this society and the pitfalls we face, but who can potentially also find good solutions to them. We want leaders who can help explain the issues to the problems we face and who can help discern potential creative solutions. With leaders in every field from politics to the media, sports and music, business to the arts, they can start to highlight the issues and challenges and bring about vital change to our community. That is why today my team and I want to announce that I intend to develop a leadership program to help attract our best and brightest young British Chinese and those interested in Chinese culture to be tomorrow's leaders by serving our community, by doing research and generating solutions for sustainable British Chinese-led social change in this country for the benefit of all. These young Chinese potential leaders will benefit from harnessing the resources, skills, and knowledge of mainland Chinese, British-born Chinese, and the first-generation Chinese, as well as, of course, non-Chinese, and will benefit from access to leaders of British society who will mentor them to the top. Together, with the help of influential partner organizations inside the Chinese community and from wider mainstream British society, we will seek to put the spotlight on issues of common interest and recommend action in the form of policy, social ventures, and campaigns to bring about positive change. The aim throughout will not be, and let me be clear about this, to create yet another Chinese representative body, but to facilitate collaboration about, around tangible action and issues. To be self-sustaining as early as possible, so as not to draw away valuable resources from worthy local Chinese causes, but to help bring resources into the community from outside in the form of funds, skills, and networks. So that we can create jobs and bring in investment, particularly from China, for Chinese and non-Chinese, so that we can build better trust and understanding in our media and entertainment industries. So we can find ways to address the imbalance of students and those who understand Western and Eastern cultures, respectively, and so that our vulnerable, elderly, and young are properly and sustainably looked after. Now, more details on this initiative will follow, and I sincerely hope you all can be part of shaping this and making it a reality. However, I'm, of course, realistic, and I know that one cannot carry every grain of sand, only work with the little sand that you can bring together mix it in with other elements, and maybe make concrete.
And indeed, to make this a concrete reality, we're going to need help, sometimes from unexpected quarters. Firstly, I need your help. I'm only one man, and the truth is none of the above can be achieved alone. But if we can do some of it together, we may be able to become more than the sum of our parts. Lord Chan almost single-handedly created an opening through which we can now pass to gain further entry in society and so that we can play our part. I, for example, have not got strengths in fundraising, lobbying, or community politics, but my strengths are in creating leaders who can deal with these areas and in helping them develop ventures and initiatives which in turn can bring about change. Others may be able to lead in areas in which I am not strong and I look forward to working with them for the benefit of us all. Secondly, we will need help from other ethnic groups, such as those who are from Indian or Jewish, South American or black communities. This leadership program over time, I hope, will develop strands with other ethnic participants, as well as serve their communities in similar but tailored ways, whilst also allowing for us to learn from each other and so to share resources. If this sounds alien, then let me ask you this. If anyone in the world can become an honorary American or Brit and share in the American and British dream, how long before we make it possible for others to become honorary Chinese and to share in and help shape and be part of the Chinese dream? Or is being Chinese only about the way we look, our blood, our clan? Finally, we will need help from the world of business. I don't just mean for sponsorship. One lesson I think we can learn as Chinese from the West is that increasingly the worlds of social and charitable action and entrepreneurship are converging. Here, in Britain, we seek to make our charitable activity more sustainable through social enterprise and our business activity more socially responsible in the way we use it to minimize harm and maximize benefit to the planet, to people, and to culture. My own life has involved a mix of business, charity, and both together, and I'll make no apology for seeking to bring both sides together. It is not wrong for a charity to make money to help it use its donations more effectively and be sustainable as long as the profits are used to serve its mission. It's not wrong for those who do much for charity to make a living as well separately in business. It's not wrong for business to seek to improve its relationship with the community and its reputation to support society. By bringing together both business and charity in creative ways, we will be able to use the limited resources that we have to better harness the skills and distribution that businesses have and to hopefully encourage better and more responsible business through the influence that charity can have on business practice and innovation. We could spend the next few hours, days, months and years discussing what I've outlined in depth as can be tempting when we come together. And no doubt it is important to consult and discuss. However, I believe the time has come for us to act. Because through action, we build trust, momentum and learning. Through action, we can refine and make progress in ways which can be difficult through consultation and talk alone. We could also spend a lot of time outlining our concerns and recommendations to government, the British government in particular, whether national or local. 
And no doubt there is a place for speaking out and engaging the political class in our issues, though money is now tight, as you know, in government, which limits its ability to help. But nothing speaks louder than action. And if we can develop credible leaders with a track record, not only in academia and the professions and self-employment, but also in key industries such as the media, public firms, and in politics. And if we have well-researched analysis and piloted solutions to offer, and if we found ways to address many of our issues sustainably, first of all with non-governmental resource, then we earn the right to speak and to be heard on whatever issue we want to discuss. We could also spend a lot of time thinking about who should be credited with doing what, and also thinking about what is in it for us if we get involved. And of course, altruism and self-interest can be a better motivator to action than altruism alone. But let us in this remember again Lord Chan, who did not do what he did to get an MBE, a peerage, or have a lecture established in his memory, but because there are people out there in need who need our help, including at various times people such as our own selves. Ironically, if we help others and each other, we will help ourselves as society becomes more stable, more tolerant, and more effective in using increasingly limited resources, and more attracted to the Chinese dream for the benefit of all of us. So now I call all the Chinese here in Britain and overseas, and all those who believe in our potential to come forward and be part of a coalition of the willing. Let us help each other and our neighbors in this place we now call home, and take hold of once more our historic role as overseas Chinese. Let us support our young leaders and work with them to shape the solutions we and Britain will need in the 21st century. And let's take action now and not delay any further. There are several actions you can take today if you feel like being part of this journey. First of all, you can sign up online at Facebook, and there'll be details on this uh, up on the screen. And join in the discussion about the issues we face, helping to enrich our research and finding your way to contribute on an issue-by-issue -issue basis. Second, you could consider joining or helping spread the word to people who might be interested in joining the leadership program that we're planning to develop, either as a participant on it or as a partner, and help us find creative solutions to the challenges we face as a community. Sheila McIntosh and Jackson Ng, maybe, maybe if I can ask you to stand so they know who you are, are here tonight. And they will be helping to develop this initiative, and I'm sure they would love to discuss it with you. Thirdly, you can simply be proud of being a Chinese or an honorary Chinese and help build the Chinese dream, where you live or work, using your skills or that of your organization, your resources and access to resources, and your local knowledge with others. And a website has been developed, www.chinesedream.org, with other experts on the Chinese dream in China, such as Peggy Liu, 
and in the US, such as Helen Wang, where you can find out more about this over time. I'm going to finish with a final quote, this time from Sun Tzu, from The Art of War, and this time in Mandarin. So again, forgive my uh, pronunciation. Jin bu qiu ming, tui bu bi zui, wei ming shi ba, er li he yu zhu, guo zhi bao ye. The general who advances without coveting fame and retreats without fearing disgrace, whose only thought is to protect his country and do good service for his sovereign is the jewel of the kingdom. May we each be like this general, seeking to protect our country and our culture and values, both of the country which we have now adopted and in which we are fellow citizens, as well as the country of our forefathers, and do good service, not just for our leaders in the UK and China, but for more importantly, the people, both Chinese and non-Chinese. May we all live in our own way, as Michael Chan did, as people's peers, as friends of the British and the Chinese, and help build on his legacy, a British-Chinese legacy, to be proud of in the decades to come. Thank you. Well, this is really, really uh, inspiring. Um, in Mandarin Chinese, we call it Yu Zhong Xin Chang. Well, what we have heard is words and uh, passion and vision and also a lot of you know, Chinese dream and hope from the most senior politician of Chinese origin in this country and also in entire Europe. So I can feel that not only you, know, you have a lot to do, you certainly expect us to join you in this pursuit. The pursuit of Chinese dream, which is the alternative to the bygone British dream, the 19th century, and the American dream of the 20th century. From, from your talk, I can see that your vision really has come from your hard work in the past decade. Um, as I can work out, you worked for at least five different charities, and you, you actually you are behind David Cameron's big society scheme, you actually work for the government free of charge for two years, right? So this is a kind of heavy lifting, uh, which really, when I read your CV, um, inspired me so much. I mean, Chinese um, has been, as, as a culture, overshadowed by the rise of the, of, the, of the West. Now, 
uh, it is time perhaps China join the mainstream, not only economically, but also in terms of ideology and the values. So in that way, we probably, we probably can get the best of two worlds, the best from the West and the best from the East. So your vision of collective action um, among the Chinese is indeed uh, you know, the dream of Sun Yat-sen when he started his career. He started as a medical doctor and then he became then a professional revolutionary to change China for the better. And also, I, I can see as a role model, you, your appeal is that not only the Chinese should do things collectively, but also Chinese should be globalized. So we should you know, uh, enhance the time, not only between us as Chinese, but also between different Chinese communities in different parts of the world. Plus, we should uh, mingle and integrate with the rest of the human right, race. So you mentioned the skills, you mentioned the leadership, you mentioned yours. So you are the role model for our Chinese community, not only in this country, but also in, world, in the world. So let's say that you know, this is the new the appeal, certainly is the beginning of the Chinese dream. The dream will make the world a better place for this century and the many centuries to come. So let's thank Lord Wei again. Right. Would you like to take some questions? Yes, absolutely. Right. Um, I, will, I will say we'll take three questions, four questions, uh, and we lump them together, and then our Lord will answer them. So the first one, yes. Um, Lord Ware, that was indeed inspiring. Thank you. Inspiring to me, I think, because you are not only unashamedly willing to speak about Chinese achievements, but also about Chinese values. I've worked a lot with Chinese in China for years. And the tragedy always seems to me that you alluded to rather too much about the way that English people have viewed China a So I'd like you, as I think you agree with me, but you weren't too precise about it, to tell me what we can learn from China, and perhaps also make a little bit more concrete this China dream, because many Chinese people are not sure what the China dream is. I think there is a dream, and I think we have a lot to learn from China. I'd like to know what you think. Thank you, Hugo. Who else? Yes. Uh, hello, my name is Harry Queenborough, um, Chairman of the London Branch of the China Britain Youth Association. I'd like to share uh, thanks to Lord Wei and his support team, Jackson, mm. and also thank you to Dr. Liu Hong at the Confucius Institute uh, for hosting this event. Um, 
we at the China-Britain Youth Association believe in fostering interaction between Britain and China at the youth level. So my question is, what do you believe is the role of youth in fostering uh, greater relations between Britain and China? Thank you. Yes. The gentleman with the jacket, leather jacket. Thanks. David Say from Chinatown Art Space. Uh, my question really is, how can we collectively galvanize um, British, young British people to actively participate in both uh, the arts and politics so that we, we collectively raise our public profile? I think that's the, the key ingredient to becoming, to mainstreaming in this country is encouraging the, the, the next generation to more actively engage and, and what kind of strategies could one develop to encourage that? One more from a student. Um, okay, yes. Hi, my name is uh, Joe Chen. I'm an alumni of uh, LSE, actually. Okay, right. um, Sorry, I thought you were too young. I look still young, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm a British Chinese uh, group in Manchester. I'm very inspired by your speech today. It's very interesting for me. Uh, uh, for my question right now, uh, maybe a lot of the students here or alumni from LSE are interested in is that a lot of us are, are thinking about pursuing our Chinese dream in China and not here in the UK. And for me, um, being in the UK for 20 odd years, coming from Shanghai, um, I feel London or, man, or UK is my home. I used to work in civil service at the Treasury, um, so I have, a lot of I have a lot of feelings for this for this place. However, I would say 80 or 90 percent of the alumni here will be going to Hong Kong or China after they graduate. After they graduate, so maybe you cannot disagree with me. So, sorry, what was your question again? So, what do you do? You feel like would you encourage uh, more, more of the Chinese students or alumni to stay here in the UK to blending more in the, or pursue our Chinese dream in the UK or pursue our Chinese dream in China? Okay, so China or UK. Right, my lord, it's your turn, yeah? Okay. <laughs> um, I'll start with the, the, there are really two questions about youth, weren't there? So one was from the, uh, the gentleman over there. Uh, I've been working and talking a lot to organizations that are looking to promote better relations and more exchange between young people in China and the UK. And uh, it's essential that we do this. Um, as I said, there are only 4,000 um, students who go to uh, China every year uh, um, to study. And I would, I would much rather this could be increased to something like 20,000. Uh, I think in the US they've got a target of 100,000. So, you know, if you, if you work the numbers, we, we should certainly be sending more people uh, to study there and to learn about the culture there. And anything that we can do to encourage young Chinese uh, and young British to see each other's countries, I think, is, is really invaluable. Because really, at the end of the day, until you go there and you see with your own eyes what is happening, how fast things are changing, and what China's really like, it's very, very hard to really understand from here. And the more young Brits go over there and see what's going on, I think the more both opportunity that will create for themselves and for Britain, and the more understanding we'll have. 
So I really applaud any organization that's wanting to do that. Um, in terms of how we uh, engage, I assume, young Chinese in uh, arts and politics, um, I think there are a number of things we can do. And you know, one of the first bits of research I'd like to do with these young leaders that I myself am looking to, to train up is to understand that whole area better and see what inroads there are that can help. Um, indeed, uh, some of the young people on it may, may actually want to go into arts and, uh, and politics and the mentors that I'm looking to recruit to help them to further their own uh, careers could be from those sectors. You know, many young Chinese today have a good education, they may have money, but to truly break in to the top levels of British society, you need more than that. You need networks, you need to know people. And so to have good mentors and to be supported in your journey is very important. Um, and ultimately, if we can get more people in the media, the arts uh, in particular, then ultimately that's how we'll build better understanding between Britain and China. The British, from my experience living here, we understand culture through people, through personalities, through celebrities, through comedians. So those are the kinds of people we're also going to have to have from Chinese origin in British society to help explain what's going on in our, in our culture and to help uh, British understand generally what's going on. Um, the short answer, I'm talking too long, the short answer to your uh, question about the Chinese dream, UK or China, I think both. The answer is both. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking um, the British dream, I'm not knocking the American dream. I think they're both still alive and well today. I mean, we saw the royal wedding. That was the British dream having its uh, you know, moment in the sun again. Yeah. Um, and the American dream, in fact, you could argue most people would say right now, in China, the Chinese dream, the current version of the Chinese dream, is, is mainly the variants of the American dream, you know, the, the discovery of consumerism, of wealth creation, uh, all things which are lifting millions of people out of poverty. So what we're talking about is parallel dreams happening. Uh, but I think the Chinese dream, you know, if you speak to many Chinese business people, many Chinese people, they know we, all Chinese can't have cars in China. They know we all can't live Western lifestyles. So how are we going to find using technology and ways to share uh, means to be more sustainable. If China is sustainable, the world is sustainable. Similarly, people know in China that family is important. And I think in the West, family is important, but perhaps we need to rediscover that. And I think one big difference about the Chinese dream, perhaps, and I think to some extent it's always been true, I think you don't have to literally become Chinese to be friends with a, uh, someone from China. Uh, you don't have to wear you know, a baseball cap or drink Coca-Cola, <laughs> Chinese tea. You just have to kind of get on and, and relate. And I think that idea of, of, of being tolerant of each other's cultures and differences is an important one. Uh, finally, what can English people from the West learn about China? Um, I think we're learning a lot right now. I think we're learning a lot about how uh, to be even more entrepreneurial. I mean, the Brits are incredibly entrepreneurial, but what's going on in China is, is incredible. Uh, how to uh, uh, make decisions involving often quite a lot of people, but make them well and decisively. I think um, it's interesting right now seeing in the Eurozone, there's a real crisis right now because we're finding it really hard to make things happen. Um, and you know, in China, for uh, you know, one of the incredible things is that there's so much going on uh, at such a rapid pace, and I think that's an incredible thing to learn. But as I also said, the Chinese dream is about those values, family, uh, about sustainability, I think, if you go all the way back. And I think there's a lot we can learn and do together. 
And ultimately, for example, if you want to develop uh, green technology, which is a really uh, important part of China's five-year plan, China is one of the few countries in the world that has the scale to develop affordable uh, technologies uh, that we can use all over the world. So there's so much potential to partner and work together. Very good. Uh, more questions, please? Yeah. Yes. Say, say, Republic of China has more characters than China. Because I think after you start, uh, stay in the UK for a while, what, do you recognize yourself as Chinese or English? Thank you very much. Let me make sure you mean Republic of China, Taiwan, yeah? Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay, got it. Any more questions? I read an article on the issue of the world uh, diaspora in the economics. So as a, member, uh, as a member of the House of the Lords and the British Chinese as well, what is your attitude towards this phenomenon? Thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you for encouraging us with a beautiful Chinese dream as we are Chinese are all proud of our Chinese culture with 5,000 years civilization and uh, we really would like to share this with the world so my question is yeah, we're all uh, proud of ch uh, Chinese economic growth yeah, which is a miracle to the whole world but we also unfortunately we also witness the uh, the different direction of the moral standard, you know, like our body was very sad to see that recently there is, a, uh, on the uh, internet, there is a video of two years girl in Guangdong province run by car, but 18 people passed by, no, no one save, stopped to save her. So the moral standard at the same time dropped down like this. So we are losing the most beautiful parts of traditional Chinese culture. So, uh, so my question is, in your uh, cu uh, uh, Chinese dream, um, what is the role of the tra uh, traditional Chinese culture? Just now you mentioned the sustainability and entrepreneurship. As we know, the core of Chinese culture also includes like, the respect for the heaven, uh, the harmony with nature, respect to the heaven, those kind of very basic values, yeah, to be good to others, uh, good, uh, goodness rewarded, badness uh, punished. So all this value has been lost in China with the modernization, with the dev economic development. So how we can also make up in this regard to make all the people in the world really respect the true traditional Chinese value. Thank you. The gentleman, the second row. Yes. 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 No way. Thank you very much for a very inspiring lecture. My question is a very simple one. Does your very inspiring Chinese dream draw any analogy with the dream that's often quoted in the West by Martin Luther? Martin Luther King, J.F. Kennedy, and the present president of the United States. Thank you. Well, the last one, yeah, this gentleman, the front row. Thanks. Uh, 
Hello, Lord Wei. I also share uh, your Chinese dream. And during your lecture, you talked about some of the lessons that we can learn from some of the UK's more established communities. Can you talk a little bit more about that and also how confident you are of our ability to replicate some of their success? Okay, this is the second round, my Lord. Yes. I'll try to be more uh, concise this time. Sure. Um, I think the article that was mentioned before was recently in Economist. And um, uh, my team and I were incredibly excited about it because we've been thinking about these questions for several months. And it just happens that it's starting to hit the mainstream thinking. You know? And I think um, we shall see how the present global situation and crisis unfolds. But I think we're entering a period when the world is becoming multipolar, if you like, uh, where there are going to be different powers. And in this period, uh, there are other periods in history that were like this, particularly the Middle Ages. And if you look at the Middle Ages, um, the most important uh, factor in the Middle Ages was the city. People all over the world then would, would go to the city, and the city was where things happened, because you know, large parts of the world were not covered by, say, the Roman Empire uh, in, in that moment. So I think now we're entering a period when a lot of the interesting stuff is going on at city level. So it's you know, really interesting to follow, follow what's going on you know, with Boris Johnson or in Shanghai or Hangzhou or all these different places. That's where a lot of the action, in fact, that's where a lot of the growth, economic growth in the world is now happening in, in cities of over a million uh, people or more. Within that context, which are the people that are some of the most interesting people who are driving a lot of this growth? It's diaspora. It's the Indian that travels back between India and the UK and America, and it's the Brits. I met a Brit today who literally last week has been to Australia, America, Canada, China, Africa. These people who travel a lot, who see themselves as part of multiple cultures, are going to be driving economic growth in the world over the next well, few decades. And so to the extent that this humble leadership program and the work we want to do here in the UK can connect with all of that that's happening, and bring opportunity and wealth to all of the countries within those city networks, um, I think that's a good thing, uh, particularly at a time like this, when we need hope uh, at a time of uh, difficulty. Uh, maybe diaspora can be, as I say, a, a source of hope and a source of resource, uh, and not just seen to be always perhaps um, outsiders. Uh, secondly, um, you know, I think, as I said before, that uh, there are questions being asked, and not just within China, but also in the West, about the limits of the consumer model. If, if, if everything in life is just about making money, just about building this or that road, just about uh, getting ahead yourself, will we all be happy? I'm not sure Sun Yat-sen himself, whose aim was the Chinese people would be happy and people all over the world would be happy. Uh, would say that's necessarily the case. Yes, we need global, we need growth. We need people to have jobs. It helps them to get out of poverty. But we also need to care about people. We also need to have compassion. Uh, we also need to have strong society and family and community links. And I know there's a lot of work in China to do this. Uh, the government has, has put a lot of focus, uh, recognizing that that's a challenge. In the UK, you know, still, and 10 years ago, or over 10 years ago, the Jamie Bolger case, again, shocked British society. This is not something that's unique to one country. Uh, and especially at a time like this, we're going to need to pull together and help each other because the money isn't just always there uh, as it was before in the past. So I think it's very important. Is the Chinese dream inspired by JFK uh, and the President Obama? 
I think all I'll say on that is um, that in each age and in each country, you do need hope. You need to be realistic, and you mustn't uh, uh, build up expectations too high, but you also need something to aim for. And I think in, those, in America and in other countries, different people at different times came and they said, yes, we can get ourselves out of this mess. Yes, we can work together and we can help the, those around us. And to the extent that th that's what they stood for at the time, yeah, I'm, I'm supportive of what they do. But I would not say that that necessarily means the Chinese dream is the same as the American dream. I would say there are elements of the American dream, the, the, the entrepreneurship and so on, which you can already see in China. You can see there are KFCs all over the place and there are entrepreneurs and billionaires everywhere. Um, I'd like to see also more Chinese dream, these values that I spoke about. I think that's it. Uh, one more. Uh, am I Chinese or am I English? <laughs> well, you know the answer to that. I'm both. Um, I do say, I think, to those Chinese who grew up here, who feel probably more British than Chinese, uh, it's a good thing to get in touch with your roots. And this is not true whether you're Chinese. It's true whatever culture you are. Because you'll find, you'll learn more about yourself and you'll learn more that will help you in your life. Uh, I could put it a bit more uh, uh, humorously. I fear if those of us who are British Chinese don't learn Mandarin in the next few years, mm. we'll find in our place of work, in our office or wherever, that uh, a British person will be speaking Mandarin to your clients. <laughs> and uh, for Chinese, shame is no better motivator to, to learn something. So, yeah. That's absolutely right. Um, one more question. Anyone from the balcony? Okay, one, yes. Microphone, please. The gentleman, third row, please. Yeah. Hello, my name is Dean. Um, my question, and it's along the lines of somebody else's dream. Well, it's everyone's dream. Um, a man named Martin Luther King had a dream. Um, that we'd all live together uh, in harmony. Um, my question is, um, what could you do to tackle racial hatred um, towards Chinese and racial hatred from Chinese towards other cultures? Right. Shall we call, yes? A lot of younger MPs from ethnic backgrounds or politicians from ethnic backgrounds uh, are very keen to stress that without ignoring the needs of their community and to be a voice for their community, they would like to be seen as representatives of a set of values who happen to be Bangladeshi, happen to be Chinese, happen to be Afro-Caribbean. I'm very interested in the future as a voice for a community, as you said, is spread like sand across the UK. Where do you think that balance should be struck? There are quite a few of them. And uh, just we, we, we give them all the chances to speak out, yes? One by one. Hi, William Lee from Chinese Entrepreneurs Global. Um, quite a short question. Um, you've also obviously talked about the Chinese dream, and there's an increasing amount of, uh, amount of academics who are writing about the Chinese dream. But what I find is that it's not written about in concrete terms. So my question for you is actually a really simple one. It's 
in your mind, what is the Chinese dream? And how do you see it changing? Because we talked about today how we can define the Chinese dream. Move on, yes. Pass on. Thank you. Good evening, Lord Wei. My name is Lei Wen, and I'm a Chinese student. And uh, I love this place ever since my plane landed at his airport. I just want to ask, um, in what way for Chinese students in Britain to pursue or help build their Chinese dream in Britain, even if they do not have a post-study work visa? Thank you very much. Ha Well done. Lady in red. Lady in red. Lady in red. Uh, the, uh, yeah, lady in red, I said. Okay, well. Hi. Um, I have a question. I just wonder whether uh, the Chinese stream include something like what Ai Weiwei and Chen Guangcheng stand for, and also the Chinese stream of being China, a democratic, democratic country rather than a tyranny country, because a lot of people have been killed for their basic human rights. Lady in red, yes. Um, Lord Wei, thank you for your speech. And as a German who grew up in China, I also thank you for the concept of honorary Chinese. Um, my name is Mireya Linton Grotz, and my question is just um, what steps you would recommend to, um, to encourage social entrepreneurship in all of the communities, both in China and in the UK? One more, the last one, yes. Hi, um, I'm an Oxford alumni as well. Um, I'm currently working as a doctor in the NHS, and I see every day all the deprivation and the troubles that people go to. Um, I understand you what big societies are, and it's all very well having all these initiatives and so forth, but again, like the gentleman asked earlier, what concrete things do you actually do that you're trying to aim at? It seems a bit unclear and a bit muddled. Great, my lord, they are getting their money worth, right? So, go ahead. <laughs> Well, the lecture was free, I think, so yes. I don't know what that means. Yeah. <clears throat> start with, let's start with Martin Luther King and uh, harmony and um, racial hatred. Um, I think one thing about both um, British culture and Chinese culture, which I admire, is um, relationships. Relationships are very key to the culture in both East and West. And ultimately, I think the reason, one of the ways in which we can reduce racial hatred, um, you know, obviously including all the work you can do around legislation and around kind of hard means to intervene, is for people to know each other. It's very, very hard. I remember when I was at school, and uh, I actually didn't experience that much racism towards me personally, because um, the people who were racist would always talk about them, but because they knew me, they, they, even though them included Chinese, they didn't really mean me. I was somehow different. And I think therefore, if we can get to know each other better and build friendships and relationships, not overnight, but over time, I think the potential for racial hatred can deteriorate. And again, if through the leadership program, some of the research that's published, we can build a better awareness, for example, in British society of the contribution that Chinese make uh, in terms of jobs, employment, and so on then I think we'll have less misunderstanding and less uh, room for uh, racism. And uh, if more Chinese people, as I know many are, are now going and seeing the whole world and seeing all that it has to offer and learn about different cultures, again, I think that may change uh, attitudes. 
Um, the point uh, about politicians from ethnic backgrounds trying to balance between their home and other values. Um, I think the only real answer, I mean, that's a much, that's a really big question that deserves a whole session on its own. Um, my preference is to take the best from both cultures. I think there are values from Britain which are wonderful, uh, and there are values from China also which are fantastic. And really, I really believe this, moving forwards, if we are to have peace in the world, if we are to continue to grow and to thrive, we're going to need the very best of both. Uh, sets of cultures. So that's, that's where I come from uh, in, 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 that, in, that, in those terms. Uh, in terms of uh, Chinese students, and uh, especially if they don't have work visas, hmm. um, I'm fortunate that uh, I don't work for the government now. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a peer in the House of Lords, albeit on the Tory whip. Um, and I do think, and there are many in my party who do think, that we need to think very carefully about the implications of some of these visa restrictions. Obviously, uh, there has been, because of the, um, uh, the link with Europe, a lot of immigration over the years. And people are naturally upset in certain communities about uh, that issue. But we must be careful not to knee-jerk, in my view, and throw the baby out of the bathwater. At the very time that we need more economic growth, we need to have people here who are willing to work hard and create jobs. And I know for a fact that many, many Chinese entrepreneurs who are here in Britain are creating jobs, not just for Chinese, but for Brits as well. I'll give you one example. Uh, a chap called Wing Yip, who runs a number of uh, Chinese, he's, he's kind of the Tesco, the Chinese Tesco of Britain. Yes. Uh, he showed me, he t gave me a tour of his uh, supermarket, his massive supermarket, huge hypermarket. And we went round, and we, there were Chinese, obviously, uh, at the tills who were engaging with many of the, the Chinese customers and, and uh, Western customers. But then we went all around his complex, the offices, the warehouse at the back, and, and pretty much every, most, almost everyone else was Brit British. And that was a relatively poor area where he was creating jobs. And I was so proud of him, because here's a Chinese creating far more jobs for Brits, non-Chinese, than for Chinese. And I think that's something that we can continue to do. Um, Concrete terms, How does, what is the Chinese dream? Well, I set it out very clearly. The Chinese dream is about Chinese people and non-Chinese people who care about Chinese culture helping to take what they have, resources and wealth, to solve problems in the world today, whether that's at a very local level in your own community or globally, to do with many of the global issues that we face. It's about saying China can help, China, Chinese people can contribute. Um, in concrete terms, it's, you'll mainly understand it through symbols. All these dreams, the American dream, the British dream, you understand it through, you know, what was that feeling we had when, when we had the royal wedding? I couldn't quite describe it, but it was good. And it made me feel pretty good towards the British people. And I think there are going to be symbols that evolve uh, that Chinese innovators, entrepreneurs, social leaders will create that allow us to engage with that idea of Chinese being people who can help and you can help the way, make the world more sustainable, more family-orientated, or community-focused, more tolerant. That's what I'm talking about. And of course, it evolves. The Chinese dream of 300 years ago, with you know, the, the Ming and all the, the artifacts on that era, it's still alive today. And the West was very interested in China in that, in that era, the Orientalism, people buying vase, vases and all kinds of symbols that represented the Chinese dream then. Stay. I think you know, modern Chinese, the, the latest Chinese dream is about the cities that are building at rapid pace, 
uh, about the, the billionaires that are being created. I'd like the Chinese dream of tomorrow to also be about these other social values that I've been talking about. And then uh, I think there are obviously going to be a lot of questions uh, about Ai Weiwei or other issues that we have been discussing now for many years. And I'm not going to uh, say that these are not important and pressing issues at the moment. But one, one thought that this question and others like it raises is this. What are we, as the Chinese diaspora, going to do to make our voices heard here and in Britain on this issue and many others? And I think the leadership program that I've announced today in my speech and aspects of the Chinese dream, I think, are about trying to create that, that place for dialogue, that place for solutions, whether here in the West or in China. And I think by only doing that, thinking creatively and trying to find a way through, will we come to a better place, both for the West and both for the East. So, thank you. Thank you, yes. Well, I think we basically run out of questions. So on that note, I would like you all to join us, join me to say in Mandarin to Lord Wei, xie xie. Wonderful. <laughs>